Welcome to the Buzzed in Baltimore podcast. I am your host, Jess Mayhew. I cover nightlife and spirits for Baltimore Magazine, and this podcast is an extension of that coverage. We talk about bars, drinks, and the people that bring them to you. So welcome to, this is episode four of the Buzz in Baltimore podcast, and we are decidedly outside of Baltimore today, but um, took a little road trip to St. Michael's, and we are at Lion Distilling, and we're here with the co-founder of Lion, Jamie Winden, and she's also the president of the Maryland Distillers Guild, as well as Aaron Joseph, who is a Baltimore bartender who can be found in bookmakers and various pop-ups, and I just brought you guys together because you're lovers of rum, and I wanted to talk about rum today. Absolutely. So thank you guys for for being here. Thanks for coming out to the shore. Yeah, we're here. <laughs> we're here in the tasting room. It's like, I mean, it smells like rum. It feels like rum. It 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 all seems right. Um, <laughs> and I just wanted to sort of, I like to start out every podcast by asking you guys, kind of how you got started in the craft spirit world and and how you first fell in love with craft spirits. I feel like everyone sort of has an an origin story in this industry. Um, Jamie, if you just want to kind of start out. Sure. I um, I actually started bartending over 20 years ago. And so I'd always been more front of the house, working um, with all spirits, and beers and wines. And when I met my co-founder and business partner, Ben Lyon, he had experience making beer, making spirits. And so we had the bright idea to bring the two together. And although we don't have a bar here at the distillery, I was far more focused on mixing drinks while he was into making the spirits. So I liked having that intimate knowledge and control over what spirit was going into the cocktail right. and just started this great appreciation for, wow, if we start with something better, the results are so much better and you suddenly don't need my days of bartending in the, you know, in the 90s. <laughs> it was lots and lots of ingredients and lots of sugary things. Um, now most of my cocktails that, that I prefer to make are just different types of liquor um, and maybe just a hint of, of non-alcoholic um, offerings. I always say a good cocktail is like three ingredients mm-hmm. max. Um, so yeah, so I have, I have fun I with that now. So I'm a lot, it's a lot simpler. It's not those daunting, oh my gosh, should I write that recipe down? It's so many things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think having a better spirit makes makes all the difference. So that's how that's how I got started. That's awesome. And you, you agree with the, the cocktail approach? I know you've been, how long have you been bartending, Aaron? Uh, since dirt was invented. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, roughly, this is my 16th year behind the stick. So actually got started actually here in St. Michael's. Awesome. This was uh, my very first bartending job at the end of Perry Cabin and was there for six years and decided that life needed a big faster pace so moved to Annapolis and then from Annapolis to DC and DC to Baltimore. So. I did the reverse man. <laughs> I started I started young working in the suburbs of Maryland and then I went to school in Baltimore, bartended in Fells Point yeah. all around yeah. uh, downtown and then of course lived all over um, overseas and then came back to slow it down in St. Michael. That's so funny. Erin <laughs> and I are trajectory we, we, opposites. We have five. Ships passing in the night. We totally. Have five. Yeah. We definitely have five on the highway. So funny. So funny. <laughs> well, it's fitting that we're in St. Michael's then since Absolutely. that's where you yeah. got your start. Absolutely. Um, and talk about your experience with rum. I mean, you know, how did you first fall in love with it? Why did Lion decide to, that was because that was the first beer you guys made. That right? is. And that's the question I get every single day. Why <laughs> rum? Um, mm-hmm. Constantly. So Ben and I both love rum. It's just, it's a fun spirit. It's a delicious spirit. Uh, I've always drank and enjoyed rum. And 
come from a long line of rum drinkers. <laughs> um, so I had appreciation for it. And Ben's a sailor. And so, of course, being in a sailing community like St. Michael's and him being aboard race boats, uh, rum is the drink of choice, whether celebrating or consoling oneself um, mm. <laughs> in sail races. So when we decided to start a distillery here in St. Michael's in Maryland, we wanted to make something that we both really loved. But we also looked at the market and said, what's missing? And it is not often that anybody can put the words young, delicious, American rum together in a <laughs> sentence. Most of the time, until a couple years ago, your delicious rums were from other countries, mm -hmm. mostly the Caribbean, and your delicious rums were very old. And so there's a handful of really good craft distillers in this country making young, delicious American rums, but not a lot at all. And that's, we opened three years ago, and that number has you know, tripled um, now, but it's still few and far between. So we wanted to make something that was missing in our eyes, that was, that was lacking out there. And also, um, we looked at the history of Maryland, and while everyone associates Maryland's spiritist history with rye whiskey, um, rightfully so, rum was the first thing distilled here. It was the mm. first thing distilled in this country in any large quantity. Mm. And I'm an avid reader, and when we were you know, digging through our permits and taking our sweet time getting up and running. I spent a lot of time reading about the history of Maryland and, and all the information I could get my hands on from Talbot County in specific, where we are here on the shore to the whole state, and came across a wonderful book called And a Bottle of Rum by Wayne Curtis. And he makes <laughs> the argument that rum Aaron is... is nodding the end yes, of the yes, Absolutely. We actually Great sold book. it in the Great tasting book. room. I'm sold out right now, but that was one of the first, along with our first batch of rum, we sold that book because it makes a, a very strong argument that rum is the true American spirit. It is a rascally wild spirit with very few rules and um, really robust. And it, that speaks to, to what I think America's all about. So yeah. yeah, absolutely. Is that why you fell in love with it too? Or how did, how did you come to love um, rum? My story of rum comes back to working here at Perry Cabin and seeing a lot of boaters and aquatic activity. People just kind of love their rum around this community, but um, it really didn't like register to me until um, I was sent to St. Martin to bartend for three months nice. um, on a kind of like just just to help another sister property open up. And um, while we're there, it was kind of like my whole being of and my whole passion for rum and craft bartending kind of all came in fruition from this single experience is because while down there helping lug a uh, thousand pound containers up and down hills because um, we were the cheap labor uh, and um, but when we got the opportunity to bartend one there was an abundance of rum because that's what everybody drinks down in the islands and fruity drinks but I went to make cocktails and they didn't have daiquiri mixes or you know sweet and sour mixes everything was fresh you know, either be purees or lime juice, lemon juice, simple syrup, things of those natures. And so making 250 strawberry daiquiris fresh every day wow. well, was an experience and also labor. But you Sounds like a love-hate relationship. Yeah. <laughs> it, it taught me the meaning of hard work, if we put it like that. Um, but from that aspect, it was just one of those things that, you know, everything tasted better. But also every island down there and you know, I had an opportunity to tra travel to different islands yeah. Yeah. every island had their perspective rum of the island mm -hmm. so like St. Martin had Old Man Antigua had their own rum um, Jamaica had their own rum every island had their own style of rum and their own rum 
And if you talk to anybody on that island, their rum is the best. And so it wasn't really the actual spirit itself. It was the culture around it. And the identity. And the identity that yeah. everybody fostered. And so to, to get around rum, you have to understand, one, the spirit that it comes from and how it's made. But two, like the culture that surrounds that actual rum and what's actually being portrayed in that style. So We, have, we always like to say that... Um, People who are having rum or, or drinking rum are always having a good time. Like Absolutely. you never see someone no. drinking rum in anger or That's despair. Such a good it's, point. Yeah. it's a it makes everyone happy, happy. and like it reminds music. them of vacation. Yeah. It's just like exactly, it's, and it's like associated with like beaches, a good and time, right. and yeah. Right, but it's always it's always just a, it's a for me rum just puts a smile on my face. Exactly. Even thinking about it, just exactly. thinking about rum just puts a smile on my face. Yeah. Well, that puts a smile on my face. <laughs> we're that. all smiling. Yeah, this is an audio is. podcast, but we're all smiling. Yeah. Um, but on the flip side of that, do you guys feel like rum can kind of get a bad rap sometimes? I mean, I, I totally. think a lot of people... People come in all the time. So we have a tasting room here. And I would say on an average weekend, maybe 10... It's less now. Maybe 10% now, but it used to be 50-50. Mm-hmm. You walk in, they take a look at my chalkboard, which says, drink more rum <laughs> on the top of it. Not so subtle marketing. Um, <laughs> and they say, oh, well, I don't like rum. Mm-hmm. And I say, okay, well, what kind of rum have you had or what do you like to drink? Because much like Aaron was saying, every island has different characteristics. Um, we, we like to think that you could pull 50 rums off the shelf and they're all, all d- wildly different. different. They could be distilled from molasses, from sugarcane. They could be aged, unaged, spiced, black rums. Um, the list goes on. Yeah. So you might not like one type of rum, but you might like 30 other types of rum. Right. Um, and for me, I only have to get you to like one type of rum, my rum. Yeah. And I feel like if I can get people to try it and get past a stereotype that they maybe think, it's too sweet mm-hmm. because a lot of rum drinks historically were very, very sweet. sweet. So people think, oh, I don't, I don't like sweet things. So no, no, no. I have a very dry rum. I have a white rum. And then they kind of get intrigued. And if you get them to not maybe take themselves so seriously. Mm-hmm. We like rum drinkers because rum drinkers don't take themselves so seriously. Not and rum is, is definitely gaining a bit of traction in the appreciation market of like craft spirit connoisseurs. But still... People don't get snobby about rum. They just take it for what it is. They meet it where it's at, people who enjoy it. So we get people to kind of say, you know, check your prejudice at the door about what you think this is going to taste like. Close your eyes and enjoy it. They usually surprise themselves. Yeah. And then to feed off that, Jamie, it's kind of one of those things that kind of make people tell me why they don't like it. Yes. You know, um, same things with cocktails. And I tell people, just open your mind and then... If you don't like it, you can tell me why. Not just because of the preconceived notion that it pertains a certain spirit. I mean, we've all had our bad experiences with certain types of liquor, tequila. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we all went to college. Yeah. We you all know, had so, so many in many cases, we're fighting stereotypes and bad experiences because everybody's had that bad, quote-unquote, rum um, yeah. college experience, which whether <laughs> it be the coconut flavor or spice flavor. Or Somewhere in high school. I mean, or just the hangover. Just the it's hangover. like the hangover like, oh. from all that sugar. And I guess it was, it was so so intense, and I just never went back to it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we, all, we all have experienced that. Exactly. But with the crab and ships, especially with Jamie and everybody's doing with the craft of spirits, and now that spirits have so much more quality mm-hmm. applied yeah. to them, that I often make people tell me why they don't like rum. Right. Or tell me what they like about flavor profiles, and I show them how diverse rum actually is. Yeah. And so when you get that conversation going, then you start opening doors and conversations and mindsets that not all rum is created equal. 
Right. And that's right. the big thing about it. And that's what I love about this craft uh, distillery movement is now we are have accessible to wonderful, wonderful, small produced, small batched, um, high quality spirits that now can demystify a lot of those preconceived notions and prejudices that one person has given to a general spirit category. Right. No, it's so true. I mean, I think a lot of people, and I was guilty of this too, maybe before I met you, because um, Aaron changed my mind about rum a lot and what it could be in a cocktail. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, you think about Malibu or yeah. you think about like <laughs> this feeling of like it's going to taste like suntan lotion exactly. or, or a spiced rum that's just really syrupy. Oh, um, and then, you know, you guys are both so right. Like it, it can taste like so many different things depending on like where you go with it. Well, and to that point, you know, for people, the three of us, I think have similar palates and we enjoy the same type of cocktails. But for all of those people who I change their mind because they're, they're a whiskey drinker or they're a single, you know, malt aficionado and they find themselves, oh my gosh, I like this rum a lot. I might replace a bottle of my scotch with a bottle of this rum. Am I even saying that? Right. And, and there's that. There are people that come in that are very disappointed that I don't have a sugary, sweet, spicy rum. Mm. Um, they keep asking, are you going to do a spiced rum? Are you going to do a spiced rum? Are you going to do a coconut rum? Are you going to do these things? And we just say, no, but you could take our <laughs> white rum. You could infuse it with some raw coconut. This would be an idea. But we're never going to make something. All of our rums are also really high proof, which spirits aficionados like. But sometimes the average drinker, it can be intimidating. So there's two sides of that coin. You know, right. for, for someone like me, I go, oh, what has Malibu and Captain done? But... They have cultivated a certain popularity among those drinks and sometimes I have to balance when I go into cocktail bars around here that are less focused on the, you know, my favorite cocktails are rum Negroni. It's just three types of alcohol. And they're going, can you mix something with fresh juices for us? Can you make something in a tall glass mm -hmm. right. that people are going to want to drink all day? And I'm like, oh, wait, okay, I got to dial it down a little feels, bit. Like something that feels more tropical? Exactly, yes. or sweeter, because our right. rums aren't really sweet. So so it's both, you know? Yeah, but not all rum cocktails have to be tropical, and that might be something that you probably kind of battle with a little bit. Um, exactly. Like, um, So everybody just assumes that everybody's going to get that frozen sweet yeah. mm -hmm. drink with the umbrella and 12 fruit garnishes. <laughs> and that's their rum experience. And that's not a bad thing because um, mm -hmm. there's, there's a demand for that and there's mm -hmm. a market for that. And so if you like your sweet drinks, continue to like your sweet drinks. Um, but with the emergence of such quality rum coming out of there, there's so much of a diverse application for rum. Like, rum has a classic cocktail application where now I make rum old-fashioned, rum mm -hmm. Negroni, rum Manhattans, um, things of those natures. Just because the aged rum category is seeing such an emergence just because it's following off the popularity of what the whiskey category is mm -hmm. doing. And because they're using similar wood staves and with similar flavor profiles, it definitely has direct application. And what is it about rum in general? Because I know you work with a lot of different rums, including uh, Papa's, as I know is a big one for you. Yes. But what, what, what about makes rum so unique as opposed to gin and whiskey and tequila? Like, as a crafter and as a, as a flavor guy, like, what do you love about working with rum different from other spirits? Wow. I know, that's, that's like your whole life. life. I'm asking you to answer your whole, like, no, whole no, philosophy right no, now. Um, <laughs> Tell us your secrets. Absolutely. <laughs> Well, no, I just I think that um, one coming from, you know, understanding the culture of how rum was is made and how it's appreciated to it having a historical accuracy and historical content in American history for I don't know how many years. Uh, for me, rum is fun because it has it's such diversity where you have aged rums that perform like whiskeys and then you have light rums that 
kind of stand on their own, but still can be applied in Vaca Engine applications. So you have the Light Spirit applications. Right. You can literally apply any classic cocktail to me in a rum application and it still work. Um, that's what makes it so fun. It's so fun and flexible. But yet it still has its own characteristics and it still has its own flavor profile. And so it's independent, but still leans itself to being very versatile and has great mixability to it. So for me, that, that opens Pandora's box for so many infinite possibilities just to be able to use it in so many applications. I mean, I've literally tried every application. <laughs> of using rum. I'm sure you have. And, and I, like, I feel like it's like impossible to make a non-bold rum drink. Like I, I feel like the, the rum cocktails are just always so flavorful. There's nothing, I mean, not that to say that you never make subtle, subtle drinks either, but it's just, they're always fun and they're bold and they're exciting. Right. I mean, you got the, now you have the reemergence of the tiki mm -hmm. uh, movement going yeah. back. So now that's helping our, the rum, um, the rum category as well, where everybody's kind of going back to the early 60s and 70s, where it was 12 different kinds of citrus mixes with four different types of rums, and they were boozy and bold. I mean, tiki is, that's, that's by the culture, that's what tiki boozy is. And bold. Boozy and bold. I like it. It's uh, my new slogan. Hashtag boozy and bold. There it is. I'm getting a tattoo tomorrow. <laughs> um, but, so, with that application, it's, it's kind of falling back on, um, like, the culture, but... Yeah. Um, like rum has just had such an emergence in the category is so vibrant right now that yeah. that it's just it's just fun to work with because there's so many different types of rums so like when people are so dismissive of the category in general it kind of like it literally hurts my heart because mm -hmm. it's it's not what it used to be right it, it's not four or five big brands dominating the market anymore and you know, it's so intricate. It's so it's very artisanal. It's it's an expression. It's delicate. It can be bold. It can be soft. It can be. It has so much diversity right now, and it, different expressions are used for different things. And I think that's why I love rum so much because you can use a different type of rum in different applications and come up with phenomenal results. Do you think it's the most diverse spirit? Yes. Okay. I know yes. we're in a biased place right now. No, I think hands down because here's the thing. It's. And not, you know, diversity could be good or bad. I mean, I think the reason people like certain spirits, like bourbon, at the risk of saying something unpopular, <laughs> there are variations from bourbon to bourbon, but bourbon has very specific rules because yes. all bourbons taste very similar as they should. They're dictated what their mash bill needs to be a certain amount of corn, what type of wood, it has to be new what wood, charred American oak. So it's a good thing. I mean, bourbon, you should be able to know what it's a bourbon in a glass. Mm -hmm. But rum, you don't always know it's rum in a glass. My white rum, people think it's tequila. My aged rum, people think is a young whiskey. whiskey Dark right. rum, they're like, caramel goodness, I don't know what that is. <laughs> so that's why it's diverse because no one's gonna tell, only thing, only rule for rum, one rule, has to be made from sugar. But even that is a whack rule. It can be molasses, which is the byproduct of sugarcane, <laughs> raw sugarcane juice, fresh pressed, and then you have agricole rum. People get all confused as soon as you throw an H into rum. R-H-U-M. Who smells yeah, like that? That's the French. What's the deal with R-H-U-M? <laughs> that, so, yeah. So that indicates the uh, regional or style of rum, which is usually in, uh, in French Indonesia, or so it's agricole rum. So rum made out of fresh pressed sugarcane juice Got is now it. considered an agricultural style. Never it has, it has, it's really specific. So usually you're only getting that on the islands because 
Okay, so rum uh, comes from sugarcane. Sugarcane looks kind of like bamboo. Mm -hmm. You chop it down, you press it, you get that juice. And I believe it's it's within 24 hours you have to start the fermentation of that juice in order to start into the, the rum agricole category. So even if I got fresh juice, unless it's within 24 hours, it's not going to technically be agricole. So you have a very specific rule there. Now, most cane juice does not make its way into delicious agricole rum. It makes its way into being processed sugar. Mm -hmm. And the byproduct is black sticky molasses to its perfect powdered white sugar counterpart. So for the longest time, molasses was a throwaway product. Molasses is industrial waste. Mm. Geniuses decided to turn it into delicious <laughs> booze because it's full of wonderful oils, proteins, rich flavor, and it still has a pretty high sugar the content. Sugar content yeah. So most rum is made from molasses, which has a distinct profile. Um, we do something different, um, and I don't really know anyone. There might be one or two now. There definitely wasn't anyone doing it when we started. We use sugar and molasses in our fermentations. We do a hybrid. So that's why in our white rum, there's a little bit of an agricole nose, just a hint of it. If you know agricole, then you recognize it. If you don't know agricole, you get super confused, and you think the rum smells like tequila. So then you taste it. Yep. Notes. Grassy, robust. So that's those, the grassy notes. Exactly. Right that's the cane okay. sugar coming through. And uh, then after you drink it, you get a little bit of the smoky, rich kind of molasses sweetness. And that's the molasses on the back end. Something to be said for making something yourself at the end of the day, having a tangible product. And then there's something that people respond to because when people come and visit and they look at they come in the taste room, they try the rum, they look at the bottle and they say, wait a second, you make this here? Um, and we say, yeah, and we walk them back. And like, then how about smell? You can smell that you make yeah, it. Yeah, but I yeah. think there's there's a disconnect. You saw it in food, you mentioned the food movement. There was a disconnect between knowing where our food came from before it hit our plate. And that's no longer the case. Most people have a real clear understanding of where things grow and where things are farmed and, and, what, and how that transition is. And that's what's happening in spirits because for so long it was concentrated in basically two states, in Kentucky and Indiana, and no one saw it. Right. Unless you were lucky enough to go visit the Bourbon Trail, mm -hmm. you didn't go to a distillery. Um, breweries in the last 12 years, or, sorry, last 20 years have exploded across mm -hmm. the country. So now most people are familiar with a brewery or at least a brew pub. Um, and so they get that, but they're starting to still starting to understand that one, spirits can be made in Maryland, um, and two, that they are made in Maryland every day by people just like you yeah. and me. <laughs> so that's, that, that's fun. And that it brings me to my next point. So you're also the president of the Maryland Distillers yeah. Guild. I think a lot of people would be shocked that there even is one. I know, um, right? <laughs> and, you know, if you could just talk about, you know, how many distillers you're involved with, what kind of work you guys do, and, and you know, what makes Maryland such a great place to, to kind of grow spirits. Absolutely. Well, it has just sheerly exploded. Yeah. Um, when we launched almost three years ago, um, there was only one other distillery in Maryland and there was one winery that was producing a small amount of distilled spirits only on location. So there was no industry, there was no colleagues, there were no peers, there was no one to kind of get together. And so, and Maryland's also a really big state. So from Frederick to the Eastern Shore to Baltimore to Southern Maryland, it's, it's vast. So within about two months of us opening, we had, uh, wonderfully some really good press and what came with that was a lot of distillers in the woodworks coming out and saying okay we want to start one how did you do we it make some too. yeah and yeah. we were really really we're still really small but we were really really small when we started so they come out and visit us and they say oh my gosh you started with just these tiny stills and, and you're just two people making this and it tell me how you did it right so we were excited we're like we'll tell you how to do it do it we need more friends and so what became kind of encouraging others to get on the bandwagon and give Maryland a name, I mean, 
we were making 30 bottles of rum in our first batches. That's not enough to even supply people coming in here, let alone the whole state. And we knew the history of Maryland being this massive state for distilling. It was the third largest alcohol producing state in the union before prohibition. That completely went away. We lost that history, that economy. That is, that is something that's rightfully Maryland's just as much as farming and Crap watermen. And and exactly. And yeah. Spirits are right there. So we were excited yeah. to bring it back. You know, and we didn't, we didn't launch as a major distillery. We knew we weren't going to be the ones to bring back all Maryland spirits. We needed help. So a few months after that, I was approached by Kevin Addicts, who is mm. a wonderful man and yes. the executive director of the Breweries Association of Maryland and also the Wineries Association. And so he said, what do you think? You know, there's only a few of you and one or two distilleries opened right after we did. So there was like five mm -hmm. and there were a bunch of these other ones that were in the works. He said, do you think we should start a guild? I said, yes, please, because <laughs> I've always wanted you know, somewhere to have that when you're thinking about starting a distillery, you can Google, want to start a distillery in Maryland, and you'd find this website, which would be the Guild, and it would answer all your questions about how to deal with the permits and the licensing and the zoning. Right. Because since we were the first in Talbot County, we're the first in St. Michael's, we had to deal with locals who had no idea what a distillery was. So, so, yeah, awesome. so we, we, we started, and now it's 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 rolling and we've had a really productive first year uh i believe we're up to almost 30 members so you can be a distillery and planning can just be an infant idea in your head or you can be a few months away from getting your permits and you can join the guild we also have a few industry um, members of the guild some great suppliers we wanted to wanted to kind of find an index of who are the great label makers in Maryland? Who are the great bottle suppliers in oh, Maryland? Who, who can we say, these people are vetted. We trust them. We, we support local. They support us. And so we've pulled in a couple of people on that front. So we can tell you where to do everything. So if from, you're a distiller, you can just pick your label maker here, your bottle exactly. here. Exactly. And, yeah, and that's something that's been done on the national level. Mm -hmm. um, there's like a national distillers resource. There's two now. But we needed a local voice. And not only does that keep everything growing this industry locally, um, it then makes us, as Maryland, as a state, a larger player on the national guild level. So we that also participate sense. in those national guilds and they're listening to Maryland. They're seeing what we're doing and actually being so new of a state. I mean, there are states that had you know 50 distilleries a couple years ago when we had you know none. And now Maryland, even though small and new, we're leading the charge because our guild is really organized. So we had six pieces of legislation we introduced this last wow. session and five of which passed and we're really excited and so some good changes and some new things we can now as of july 1st we can participate in farmers markets yes. alongside yes. yeah i remember breweries fought that fight oh a few and years back. The breweries have fought so many good fights that have yeah. laid the groundwork most of the legislation that we put in and i testified for my testimony was this will help the industry and this is in line with what the brewers you, you know, said something did this back in the '90s or whatever. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So it's it's really it's it's cool. It's it's a great time to be a drinker, especially in Maryland. Yeah. Um, we almost have every spirit represented in Maryland now. For the longest time, um, there was no gin, and now I think we have three gins wow. uh, from different distilleries. So it's exciting. It's um, you can stock much... your bar cart with all Maryland. If oh my you, gosh. If you want to. Yep. <laughs> from rum to whiskey to limoncello and back again. Yeah. There's there's a lot of Maryland made spirits, which is really exciting. And that must make it an exciting time for you as a bartender to see all these. I mean, are you excited just because this stuff is local and you know the producers and you can kind of collaborate? I mean, that must make it like a really fun process, I would think. Um, it absolutely is. It's it's more about, it's for me, it's about building the relationships. And that's a lot of what my job is. And 
kind of what I love about my job is just establishing relationships, relationships between consumers or guests, yeah. uh, relationships between distillers, relationship between companies, relationships between PR and media. Um, so when you have something that you can personally explore and have be hands on, and you know, I can now say I've been the lines and I see how small of the production is, <laughs> and you know, the struggle is real when you're, you're talking about two people that are like literally working 12, 14, 16, 18 hour days just to produce a wonderful craft spirit. It's I know you've made a ton of cocktails with Lion's rums mm. before. I have fun with um, it. I've, I've <laughs> drank a ton of them. They're so good. He's always They're delighting so me. Yeah. So if you could just talk just from like a flavor perspective, I know there's um, a, few, a couple different rums that Lion makes. We have four but now. It's crazy. Like, oh, wow. what, do you, what do you, as a bartender, what do you like about the flavors of Lion's rums and how do you play off of them? You could maybe name an example of a cocktail that you've done in the past that's sort of shown line in a really nice light um i would have to say it was uh the cff event uh two years ago when i would have the great opportunity of using lions actually no i persist on using lions um <laughs> it was kind of a struggle yeah, too we gotta like, get it there and get it approved you know i gotta <laughs> talk to somebody's grandmother <laughs> give two blood samples all that stuff um no but um it was a cocktail using uh golden berries a little bit of citrus i think we used uh Mint as in herbaceous, we call it Serenity of the Shore, and it just kind of like it made it, it made it really personal to me because one, it was it was a product from a town that I had so much I can attribute to so much of my professional career to where yeah. I initially got started, but two, um, it was it kind of took me on a tour, and you've taken that drive with us, that drive now, that yeah. where that drive from Easton to St. Michael's, it's just <laughs> it's like it's like a timeless drive. You know, you go from somewhat of a larger city or a larger town, and then as you cross over the bridge, it's just like kind of like this timeless drive. And, and that's kind of what inspired me to make the cocktail. But it was not just that the cocktail was the inspiration for the setting, but it was the flavor profiles that Lines gave off to me that hit and led me down to that. So my whole thing about cocktails is our cocktails should tell a story or have a direction and so when I got the opportunity to work with clients and the prominent flavor profiles I mean you get your wonderful molasses but you still get some light floral notes it's not terribly dense it's light it's a little bit effervescent it's definitely rum because so you have that that austere or that that intangible taste but it's the fun part about it and so that's hmm. what like led me down to that road was it was so fun to work with that it kind of like just made it full circle to have a wonderful spirit produced in a wonderful town and taking me back to a wonderful memory so yeah. that was that was gotta say that was probably one of my like favorite favorite times working with lines but it hasn't been the last nor will it be so and, and it was a beautiful drink too just it was gorgeous at it, it was just it it gave you that like there's some kind of paper flower yeah, on was it the, that was the golden berries so oh, golden berries are magical just, yeah mm -hmm. it was really nice used, i think we used chocolate mint as yes, well. yes yes that's yeah. awesome well that was really delightful for us because i have to say you know we don't we can't make cocktails at our bar so when you come in here you can only taste things straight and it, it is difficult for people to taste clear spirits um and understand and appreciate unless they know where it's going. So when we do a tasting in here, we do walk people through and say, when you try the white rum, 
Look for these bright grassy notes, followed by a little molasses. Imagine it with citrus and bright tart flavors. Don't think. Imagine it with it. And and it's so hard because people are like, some people get it. And other people are like, I don't know, it's strong. I can't imagine that. Can you make me one of those? Yeah, that sounds great. Make me one. I'm like, I can't. Um, Tastes like alcohol. Exactly. (laughs) I mean, it's 90 proof, it's 45% alcohol. It's not hiding behind any oak or or sugar. Um, And then they try our aged rum and they're like, oh, okay. Now I taste vanilla and I taste oak. They taste the barrel. Mm-hmm. And then they taste our dark rum, which has a homemade smoky caramel in it. So then they're like, oh, this is the best. We love this one. So the white rum doesn't always get the love it deserves in the tasting room. But then we have all these bartenders when we started distributing, because it took us a year. We only sold rum in the tasting room for a year. So the white rum was kind of the underdog because mm-hmm. it was the it was like the moonshine to its two friends that had nice color and full flavor. Right, right. So for people just tasting it simple, every once in a while someone would come in and go, I love this one. And we'd high five, you're a rum purist, man. You're getting the white <laughs> rum. You know, going against the grain because nine out of ten get the dark rum. So when we started distributing, I was shocked and delighted that all these bartenders, Aaron especially, he was the first, wanted the white rum. I'm like, ooh, what are you going to do with that? What are you going to make? And it was so cool to see they all were like oh your dark rum's amazing but it's kind of amazing on its own as a as a cocktail maker i can't go very far with that i just pour it in a glass and it's delicious right. we as bartenders kind of take things that most people throw aside and try to kind of make it our own so yes. that's kind of what we take our pride in but um like what jamie said is especially when it comes to like clear spirits or light rooms um everybody's used to to adding alcohol content to already established flavor profiles. So whether mm. you have your, your fruitness or your effervescence or things of that nature, you're only looking kind of like that, that vodka application where you're only looking to add alcohol content to already established flavor profiles. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I always tell people when you're using rum, especially rum that has wonderful flavor, um, if you put it in that same application, it just makes cocktails that much better. I feel we, like we should pour some samples. We should pour some samples, right? Yeah. Have you probably haven't. Have you had it yet? Um, not the overproof. Yeah. And while you're while you're pouring samples, I just wanted to um, talk a little bit about. Yeah. Um, you guys are going to be working together again very soon on yes. on June twenty second. Um, yes. Baltimore Magazine's hosting a Southside event, and it's going to be at the Museum of Industry. Um, and as fate would have it, so we're pairing Maryland Distillers with Baltimore bartenders um, from the Baltimore Bartenders Guild mm-hmm. and the Maryland Distillers Guild. And as fate would have it, Aaron and Jamie are going to be working together, and Aaron's going to be making a Southside with the new Overproof. Yeah. Absolutely. So Absolutely. it just kind of brings this whole conversation together because, you know, it's it's look. I'm really excited that we're we're doing an event that's going to be all local spirits. Yeah, um, me too. And it, you know, it's an event that couldn't have happened a couple years ago. No, for we didn't have any. many reasons. Enough. We didn't have enough. But I think I also think we have the audience now that I mean, tickets are like selling pretty fast um and i think we have the audience now that's really excited that yeah. it's local spirits um so i just wanted to get that plug in there no we're super excited go get and your I tickets because yeah. it is going to be it a fun time Game we're... On. <laughs> exactly well i love that the bartenders have this kind of healthy competition because well i think any industry you need other people around you doing great things to keep raising the bar mm-hmm. because so you know speak. Well, right, right. No, I'm always an accidental punter. Um, But the thing is, 
you know, I have to say, I am, I am psyched to hear people support local. I support local, but I do maintain that just because it's local, that's not enough. Like yeah. it, 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 it can be local, but it better be damn good. Right. Like you give me all the local beer, wine, spirits, food you want, but if it's not the best option, well, give me something not that's not as local. Yeah. Exactly. Well, so we've maintained that like, we're going to use the best ingredients and sometimes they're going to be locally sourced. Sometimes they're not. Everything we use is from the States because we like to support our economy. Um, But I think, you know, to my fellow guild members, I'm always saying it's great. You're you're local, but keep setting the bar high because it's not enough to be local anymore. Now that there's a lot of local, let's all be local, but let's also be the best so that someone can pull a beautiful gin or rum from another state and say, well, they're both amazing, mm-hmm. but the local Maryland's going to give us the push over the edge, not just because it's local. Right. It's better. And we don't expect bartenders to love us just because we're local. We want them to say the Maryland distilleries are something we're proud of. Right. And so that's another thing as an industry. We're like, we want other people to say, yeah, all Maryland spirits are awesome. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and to add pride to that, um, you know, it's nice when you go to like, like what I'm getting ready to go to in the next couple of days is uh, Camp Run'em Up. Yeah. Where you go to bourbon camp and then, you know, I'm definitely taking some spirits from Maryland and letting a bunch yep. of people from all over, bartenders all over the nation to taste what we're producing in Maryland. And it's great because we have this wonderful luxury of having great quality spirits being distilled right now. Um, there's some other states I've tasted that have been lackluster. I'm really sad. I'm sure not every state not is every as lucky as us. No, yeah. no, no, no. So it's, it's a sense of pride of one. The sense of community we have in Maryland um, amongst the distillers and industry and bartenders and just community in general, because I've never met a more loyal community-based consumer-driven market than I have in Maryland, Um, just because everybody is proud of what... It's an extreme sense of pride that goes along with Maryland. There really is, and and I grew up in Maryland. I'm from here, and I never really... Maybe I just took it for granted. And the first event we ever did anywhere was Tales of the Cocktail mm-hmm. a few months after we opened. And we weren't ready for it. We didn't have enough product. We weren't advertising. But our friends, like Green Hat Gin, could talk to mm-hmm. they're like, come on, be in a room with us. Come down. So we had nothing. All we did, like, boom, throw together, throw a bottle of rum up there, draped a Maryland flag yeah. as a tablecloth, literally out of necessity because we didn't have tablecloths with our name on it. Or <laughs> we didn't even have a sign. Yeah. And people came in that room in an event in New Orleans, but from all over the world and the country, and came right to the flag and said, I'm from Maryland, what do you have? And it became an integral part of our brand. Because we didn't want to be, we didn't want to ride on the laurels of, we're we're a St. Michael's distillery, we're a Maryland distillery. We wanted to be good in our own right, so that people in Maryland were proud of us, but so that eventually, if we grow to be big enough, people will like us no matter where they're located, you know? because a lot of people have a, a tendency to hyper-localize your product. Right. And then I think that cannot be as, as, as good because it's like, well, what do I care? I'm not from that town or that state, right. so I'm not interested. But then it, it became, you see more and more the flag. It's not on our bottles, but it's in our space because yeah. we've kind of embraced that even more. Like, and I think yeah. that's, that's something that's actually, because I grew up in Baltimore too, and I think that that's something that's sort of changed in the past maybe 10 years okay so maybe it's not just I don't maybe know it has changed <laughs> how much as far as the flag as an identity yeah. I don't know if Under Armour did it or who necessarily did it but you're seeing that flag everywhere it's a, and it's a beautiful flag and it is a beautiful flag people who so. don't know would ask us is that is that like your family crest no it's the <laughs> state of Maryland it's, it's, a cow, it's the Calvert's family yeah, crest yeah, yeah. 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 but yeah. It, it, it has become more of a, a symbol and it, and you know I'll have friends that are from here and live out of town and they'll come back and they're like 
when, since when did the Maryland flag get everywhere? Like exactly. it's this, so it is interesting. And, and then you have companies like Baltimore whiskey who have a shot tower gin, which is awesome. And you know, that becomes yeah. part of your identity, identity and, yeah. and people that are local. I, I mean, I love it. I, I eat all of that stuff up. I just think it's like, because well, it's so been cool. a little education. I, I like learning while I experience. And I think when we travel other places, that's part of the fun. You know, if you're not from this area and you go and shot tower gin, why shot tower? Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Tell me about it. Um, that's what we do when we travel. So we get that ability to do it in our backyard, which is really great. So it, it, yeah. you don't have to leave home to learn something that you didn't know or see a different perspective. And that's really cool. Right. Yeah. All right. So let's do okay, so what we have in front of us. So in front of you, the first one, and Aaron moved his, or did he? You can tell immediately the difference between the white and the overproof. Um, so we made the overproof, again, just for us. We wanted good overproof rum. We were finding that we couldn't make all of the tiki drinks we wanted to make. Our rums are great right. for, for tiki drinks because they're pot distilled. They kind of harken back to that old Jamaican style pot distilled rum. But we couldn't find a good overproof we liked. And there's not that many on the market. So Ben said, all right, I'm going to distill one. And I think our first batch was you know, something like a very lion of us. It was like 18 bottles. <laughs> and we loved it. And then we thought, all right, some of our crazy creative bartenders would like to get their hands on this. We can't keep this stuff in stock. Regular people come in that at first start out by saying, I don't like rum, and then leave with three bottles of overproof. It has a deep, rich molasses. It hits you with heat at 126 yeah, proof. It does. But I think that when after I swallow this, about five to 10 seconds, mm-hmm. I feel like I just ate a chocolate bar. There's this chocolate, rich, smoky molasses flavor. And so it has such a deeper, richer flavor than our white rum. Um, and, and most people just think overproof rum was just added, you just add less water. No, no, no. Like we change the distillation, but we don't change the fermentation of it. So mm-hmm. it's the same ingredients. Um, I'm so, getting that like chocolatey thing yes. now. It's so good. On the great. back of like, my palate a little bit. That's, so good. I kind yeah. of feel like, you know, you have friends that have kids and every time they have a new baby, it's their favorite because it's the <laughs> new one. So that's how I feel about our overproof rum. Like, is it just my favorite because it's the newest? Right. But it's just so unique and we're just, I'm so proud that a white spirit, it's 126 proof, is so drinkable and so good and it's the thing I reach for. So I've been substituting this in all sorts of cool cocktails and finding that it's just wildly different um, than anything else on my bar. So Aaron, what would you do with something like this? What, if you could. Um, actually, you know, I'm just, um, from the heat kind of leads you into this wonderful spiciness. Mm-hmm. And um, from that spiciness, I kind of get these big um, tropical fruits. So it's like, if you put a mango, a papaya, and a pineapple in an oven for about an hour, and then take it out, what? and then just take a bite of that. That's kind of like the tropical fruit notes I get from it. Wow. But then also you do get that. Should that we preheat on like 375? Right. No, 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 no. Right? Just jump right into 500. So specific. And just like almost. That's but, awesome. I mean, um, but then yes, I do get the, that that residual molasses taste that you were describing, and then so it's kind of like that 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 light chocolate or yeah. that, that almost that um that that deep caramel it's kind of like dolce de leche ice cream mm. meets pineapples meets a little bit of white pepper and sage and that's the flavor profile and people don't they look at this clear wow. bottle and they're like no way yeah. until yeah. they taste it and then they're like oh okay yeah yeah, yeah absolutely now i mean for this, I I would love to just let it shine, but I mean, yeah. stuff like this would be great. And I mean, classic rum punches would be fantastic yeah. with this. Um, but if you wanted to do something subtle, I mean, this would be a great daiquiri rum. It it it, it, really it, it absolutely is. It like, cause be. that's my favorite drink for our white rum was always, um, I did two shots of rum, 
shot of fresh lime juice and half a shot of simple syrup. Shake it up. I like I like my cocktails up most of the time. All the time for ice, it gets in my way. I'm very busy. Um, <laughs> and straight I, to the point. Straight to the point. Yeah. And my only problem with the overproof rum is that now I usually have two daiquiris instead of three or four. Three or four. Mm. Yeah. So it, but when I'm crunched for time, it's great. Uh, it's the rum I drink all day in the tasting room when I'm working. <laughs> like shot for you, shot for me. Yeah. It's just it's really clean. Um, but it has a strong enough flavor profile that you wouldn't necessarily need a two shot. You can no. actually cut it down to a shot or a shot and a half and yeah. then still do the wonderful note. I need to change all my recipes because of that. Well, you just modify them, but then you just it's about the consumption and then being an enjoyable experience. You drink what you like. That's my problem now, right? It's so I drink for the experience and the effect. But I want the experience more. Right. Mm-hmm. I wish I could like have five times as many drinks. I don't want to be as drunk. I just want to drink all the things and enjoy them. It's it's really stressful. You know, I used to drink as a youngin, mainly for the oh, yeah. effect. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. And now I just oh. want all the flavor. It's... I think that's why like session beers are coming back yes. so much because I think people are are thinking the same thing. They just want to be drinking more, but not consuming the, more alcohol. Enjoying the flavor. Yeah. yeah. A friend of mine uh, compared it to motorcycle riding when you're young you want the crotch rocket you want something that's fast and fun and just you're just trying to get to where you go and look cool but yep. as you get older you start riding the harleys yep. and the cruisers yep. and, huh. and things of that nature so you enjoy, want to the, enjoy, ride. enjoy the ride and yeah. you want a smoother experience and kind of that's what cocktails have like started going to we're getting so, some good taglines out of this i'm like hashtag enjoy the ride enjoy the ride i love it um, you had an idea to do a Negroni, and you had an idea to do. Did you want to do the South Side? Yeah, or? Okay. Ooh, cool. so, are you gonna? This might. Don't let. Don't let any other bartenders hear about your tricks up your sleeve for nah, the this South is, Side. This event. is just a suggestion. This is just for fun. Yeah, this All is right. just for fun. Okay. <laughs> just for fun. Well, I am doing a rendition of uh, South Side with rum. Um, of course, we're going to use Lions Distilling Overproof Rum. <laughs> Shout out, shout out, plug, plug. Um, <laughs> with some fresh strawberries, um, some hand-picked mint out of Jamie's Mint Garden out front. Yeah. yeah so you can't get more local than that. <laughs> I grew that mint myself. Absolutely. So we roughly uh, cut up the two strawberries, um, probably eight to ten mint leaves. We're going to start off with the ounce and a half of overproof rum. Can people get the overproof rum in Baltimore? Yeah, or yeah. Stores? Are there like places? So that's the funny thing. So what I was going to say was we just made it thinking, no, it's just for us or for select people that, you know, feel like picking up a bottle. It, it's been going crazy. So yeah, it's um, it's in almost all of our liquor store accounts have picked up the overproof. Okay. So they have, they have everything at Great. Camp Crossing. They'll always ever be our cup there. Yep. Alright, so now what you doing? Alright, so we've already added three quarters of an ounce of fresh lemon juice, three quarters of an ounce of simple syrup. We are now adding ice to the shaker tins. And then we're gonna work out. Just <laughs> shake like we're hangry. Yeah. I still love the sound of the shaking though. I know. Still <laughs> really is a workout. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I can smell the strawberry. That's, mm. not, we, and uh, I'm even like a little congested, so that's how you know. <laughs> well, the overproof rum will solve your problem. So basically, it's clear out. Right. So we've uh, we've shaken those now and um, double strained them into double fashion glasses with a large ice cube. 
and we'll just smack them in as we're using it for a garnish. Place it in the glass. And then there's your cocktail. And there is your R&D strawberry mint south side Here. using Lion's Overproof. It is so beautiful. Awesome. Beautiful. I was like, Jesse, come on. I was like, I don't know if she's recording, but you gotta try Aaron's <laughs> no, drink. No, no. I just asked him how he comes up with Jamie's names. Jamie's sister, Jesse, is here. <laughs> Hi, Jesse. Hi, everybody. Hi. Jesse takes inspiration from bartenders like Aaron when she's trying to help her accounts decide what to do oh, with all sure. of the all the rums around here. Yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. Let's let's try them. There you go. Thank you. There Share you with Jess. There's yours, and there's Jesse. <laughs> Look so, how happy she is. Remember we said this does not suck. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it makes people smile. Yeah, there it is. It's, I mean, it's, it's like a daiquiri, but it's not sweet. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that's what's really cool is like people think strawberry daiquiri and they think syrupy and saccharin and frozen. And and frozen. Yeah. Here's the problem with owning a rum distillery. I could just drink this like it's juice, yes. but it's full of overproof rum. Exactly. <laughs> it's so good. I feel like. My threshold is so high, or you just you you've done it. That's what it is. It's no, that, he's just that good. Well, that's no, the no, thing. No, no, it no. is, and I say to people all the time, a good cocktail is just perfectly balanced. That's so whether it's sweet or spicy or strong or light, it's balanced, and that's the bad rap that rum gets. Is everyone thinks every rum drink is going to be overly sweet, or you have to put rum in a sweet drink? But if you balance it, then yeah. everything shines. And this but is it's not like you can't taste liquor either. Oh, no, and that's yeah, important too. <laughs> and you exactly. taste it on the aftertaste and you, I mean, it's, it sticks with you. So do you want to make your Negroni? Sure, here? I just okay. need to borrow a little bit of ice from Aaron. Mine, mine yeah. Negroni takes one second to make because like I said, I usually don't have a lot of time. So I, uh, I'm one of those people who I get off of a long day. I don't have the patience to make them for myself all the time. And I don't live in Baltimore, so I can't find myself on the other side of the bar from Aaron as often as I'd like to, having him make me something. So my Negroni is super easy. You can do a Negroni on the rocks, which I prefer like one giant, ooh, one giant rock, one giant cube, or you could do it up, and that's how I like it. I love coupe glasses. I think uh, they're the that's a beautiful classiest, one too. sexiest. Jesse, I have a whole collection, so she grabbed me one of my favorites. Um, anything with a little bit of gold or a little silver or like, um, metal on it, but I love the shape of them. Uh, they yeah. just, they're, they're wonderfully old timey mm -hmm. and it makes me feel classy when I slam my boozy cocktail. Uh, <laughs> and so. I feel like you can hold it in this dainty way and you feel and like you a, just... like an old school classy yeah. lady, even if you're not. Famous. Even if you're covered in molasses after a long day. <laughs> so the Negroni is one of those classic cocktails that's super easy, even though a lot of people don't know how to make it. It's equal parts. So even if you don't have uh, a proper bar jigger, you can use any glass and just put the same amount of each thing and you're using three ingredients. Um, traditionally, it was made with gin. We, however, are subbing our overproof rum. I do a, a shot of overproof. Packs a punch. Yeah. <laughs> I, instead of Campari, my bitter aperitivo is Don Siccio's Cinque, which is Oh, so delicious and made in Washington, D.C. And then my new favorite secret ingredient, uh, normally it's sweet vermouth, is the third ingredient. This is the Capitoline uh, Rosé Cordial, which is a sweet vermouth distilled in D.C. at New Columbia Distillers, the makers of Green Hat. So this is like a DMV. Oh, yeah. Vermouth. This is as yeah. local <laughs> as you can get because normally both of these last two um, components are Italian. 
And so you would get from either Italy or um, I think some vermouths are made in France. Are they mostly Italian? Vermouths, so there's Italian and French vermouths. Okay, so uh, there's both, yes. But they're uh, always over the ocean. Yes, yeah. Yes. So this is bringing it really local. So these right. are both made in the district. So it's just equal parts. And because I am hooked on DC and Bittermint, mm -hmm. I always hit it with a little bit of their orange bitters. Also, I do have an orange today, but I usually don't. <laughs> so because I never have fresh fruit, I have to turn to my bitters. So because I'm rarely zesting properly, because um, I'm never prepared, uh, I'm always prepared with booze, but not necessarily fresh fruit. Throw that in. Aaron's gonna Aaron's gonna actually zest it correctly for me. I just I just shave it off and throw it in there. Aaron's like rubbing the glass. You gotta get the aromatics. You light it on fire or something. Do it. We could do, we could do that. We could do that. It smells good. It's so one good. With I'm only slightly. This and then one with slightly biased. I love the color. That cocktail is delicious. Jimmy, you still got it. You well, still got it. Equal parts in a glass. I mean, <laughs> you still have on. it. You're a great mixologist. Booze on booze on booze. You're a great mixologist. <laughs> it's really good. So That's all I drink. It's all I want all the time. It's definitely, I mean, for a fan of someone, something a little more bitter. I it's definitely say. bitter, right? Yeah, like, if you're if you're not a big fan of bitter, then... I tried to push this on my friends, and they're like, stop, it tastes like cough medicine. I'm like, no, it's so good. But I think it's actually a little more mild than a typical Negroni, because it's, I mean, Kuhari well, is and a that's the thing. It's not or, as aggressive as that, but and, that bitter doesn't come so the yeah. thing too, like my, my go-to vermouth is usually um, Carpano Antica, but this, the Carpano is great, obviously, but oh, this yeah, yeah, yeah. this is so much better. But this doesn't doesn't work as well in like a Boulevardier. It's more this is more citrusy and lighter. Um, so have you had Green Hat's Summer Cup? Mm -hmm. Oh wow! Their Summer Cup is the vermouth and their um, and their gin. It's either the white vermouth or the rosé. I forget. But you can see how it's it's not it's as brighter. suited to whiskey. Perfect for gin and rum. And I just, I just wanted to say like thank you guys so much oh for. God, you're so welcome. You know, Jamie, thank you so much for hosting. Aaron, thank you so much for driving out here. Oh, no um, and I'm so excited to see you guys at the Southside event. Me too. Yay. And everyone should come and check out Lion in St. Michael's and and follow uh, follow what Aaron's doing um, all around Baltimore. Um, so cheers. Cheers. Drink more rum. Yes, drink Enjoy more rum. Enjoy the ride. <laughs> support those that support you. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Cheers to that. As always, thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Buzzed in Baltimore podcast. If you want to follow along, you can follow on Twitter and Instagram at Lion Distilling. And you can also follow the Maryland Distillers Guild on Twitter and Instagram at Maryland Spirits. And you can follow the shenanigans of Aaron Joseph at AJZ Joseph on Instagram. And if you guys want to come to Southside Steaks, I highly recommend you do. It's going to be such a fun evening of cocktails and food and music. Um, you can get more information and tickets at bmag.co backslash Southsides. Cheers.